Hello and welcome to Pod Pod. I'm Rihanna Dillon, your host, and this week we're talking to Matt Rouse, podcast lead at Octave Audio. He used to work as a campaign manager at Acast. He's been a business director for the audio team within the ad agency Mindshare, and he was also a radio buyer for ad agency Universal McCann. So safe to say that Matt knows a lot about advertising in podcasts. So that's what we talked to him about. But before we get to him, joining me this week are regular contributors, Reem Makari and Adam Shepard. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Hi. So I hear that there is something going on in Denver, Colorado that we haven't been to. How come we didn't have a pod pod outing to Colorado? What the hell, guys? <laughs> well, we have to think about our carbon footprint in, in these <laughs> kinds of things. And also, have you seen the price of flights to Denver? Um, no, it is uh, this week, as we record, is podcast movements, which is one of, uh, if not the biggest uh, kind of global conference uh, specifically for podcasting. So it's several days of panel sessions and talks and presentations about various aspects of podcasting, including everything from the creative side and the rise of video all the way through to optimizing your monetization strategy and reaching out to advertisers. So I guess that you've both been super busy with trying to distill some of the stuff coming out of this conference. So Reem, what have been the sort of key takeaways so far? Well, there have been a lot of exciting announcements from YouTube, from Spotify, from Apple Podcasts. Spotify and Apple Podcasts have both released new features on their platform. So this includes on Spotify side, having more customization tools for podcasters and having more promotional tools and more advertising opportunities, uh, which is all very, very exciting. Yeah. And in addition to that, Apple Podcasts uh, to coincide with the conference has released a new subscriber analytics dashboard. You can see various metrics for your Apple Podcasts subscriptions, revenue and performance within your Apple Podcasts Connect dashboard. They've also announced five new platforms that are now supporting its delegated delivery uh, program, which allows podcasters to release bonus content to Apple Podcast subscribers directly from their hosting provider. So a lot of technical backend stuff, uh, but stuff that's going to be quite useful for a lot of creators. So that dashboard that you were talking about where creators can see the, did you say the number of subscribers? So it's the number of subscribers, the amount in revenue they've made from those subscribers, whether subscribers are on a monthly plan, a yearly plan, a free trial, etc. So that's like Patreon, like what Patreon does. Yeah, pretty much. It's just an expanded set of analytics tools to rival Patreon effectively. Okay. So do you think that's going to make a difference, Reem, with the amount of creators sort of doing it through Apple Podcasts as opposed to Patreon? Or do you think it's a bit too little too late? It's good to have multiple channels in which you're showing your subscription offerings. Like Spotify recently did an integration with Patreon where you could still link your Patreon account to Spotify. So you don't necessarily have to move to another platform, but you're also advertising all of your paid bonus content on the Spotify app. So all the users are getting it there as well. And I think it's good because you're getting visibility on multiple different platforms, especially ones like Apple Podcasts and Spotify that can really, you know, raise your discoverability. So I I think it's a good addition. 
Mm. And we've heard from a couple of creators previously that the metrics and analytics that Apple Podcast subscriptions offers in comparison to Patreon is a little bit lacking. So this is hopefully uh, addressing some of that imbalance. Other announcements that were made at podcast movements were also YouTube. They announced that uh, by end of the year, they will hopefully start rolling out uh, the ability for all podcasters to upload their podcasts as RSS feeds onto YouTube Music instead of just uploading video, which is good because then you'll be able to track your analytics all in one space rather than having to differentiate between YouTube podcast views and um, podcast downloads. That sounds great. Maybe we need to kind of revisit this story a few months down the line and see what the actual effect of that is. Um, It'd be interesting to hear from some people who have done that. Okay, so now it's time to talk to Matt Rouse. So here are me and Reem talking all about advertising. Matt, welcome to PodPod. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. You've already shot to top of my favourite person list because you've been so incredibly patient while we've been sorting out this recording. So thank you. <laughs> it's all right. I know what it's like. I'm a creator myself, so I know how it goes sometimes. <laughs> um, so you work at Octave Podcasts. So can you tell us who they are, who Octave Podcasts are and what your role is there? Yeah, so Octave Podcast is part of Octave Audio. So the Octave Audio company is a joint venture between Bauer Media and News UK. And we monetize and look after all of the digital audio impressions across their parent radio stations. So you know, I'm talking about Kiss and TalkSport and those types of things. And then the podcast division of that, which I am the podcast lead of, we have access to obviously the ad inventory on the podcast from our parent companies and also the creative solutions elements of those as well. And also we've just signed a huge deal with um, Sirius XM, who are obviously the, the largest audio entertainment company in the US. And we are the exclusive representation for all of the UK listeners listening to their US shows uh, with the exclusive partners for them. So if you want to access someone like Conan O'Brien or Oprah Winfrey or something like that on one of their podcasts for a UK listener, you know, we're the exclusive partner for them. So you have to do it through us. So when I had a look at the Octave homepage, it kind of boasts 150 mm-hmm. million impressions, which obviously is mm-hmm. an incredibly impressive figure. But what does that actually mean in terms of listeners advertising? Tell me. So, you know, um, part of that podcast network that we, we've brought to market is the access to shows that we've got covers something like 1500 shows, if you're just talking about a purely ad inventory network. However, you know, what we've taken on with our parent companies and what we've taken on with SiriusXM, that gives us a lot more access to creative solutions and host reads and things like that. So since we've added SiriusXM to our umbrella, it's given us access to over 500 new shows. And obviously, some of these deliver things like over a million downloads every month in the UK. Something like Crime Junkie is really far up there in terms of what the biggest shows uh, in terms of true crime listened to in the UK. So that's really added to our network in terms of delivering those impressions and that access to audiences that we can we can demand. And that, that runs alongside our IP radio business as well. So what we can do on the IP side of things is because we've got access to logged in listener data, people listening to 
the radio stations via our website, like they're logged in. So we can track their behavior online and also kind of create audiences to target them um, specifically. So, you know, if it's the age of, I come from, you know, I've worked in audio a long time and that very linear radio world is that you want to speak to men, you put your ad on TalkSport and it's like, you know, actually some men want to listen to magic every now and again or want to listen to Kiss or something like that. So, you know, it's about finding those audiences in those different places where they might be listening and not just bluntly targeting them on onto one station. And that's kind of the rich audio world that we live in now in terms of having all that data accessible to us that we can, you know, deliver more bang for buck in terms of advertising spend. Speaking of the IP radio business, both Bauer and News UK have a long heritage and probably a number of established clients. How did you find the experience of moving the clients from the IP radio side to podcasts? Yeah, so it's an education piece, to be honest with you, long term. Um, I've been at Octave for just over a year now. And, you know, basically it's been my job to not only educate clients what the benefits are in terms of podcast advertising outside of linear radio or digital audio. Um, it's also about um, educating the kind of internal organs of our parent companies as well, because, you know, obviously they produce their own podcasts, but in terms of really kind of uh, taking things to the next level. Uh, you know, it's all about um, making sure everyone's aware of what formats are available, how things are sold in market, um, how you price these things, bring all, uh, all of those things together to make it quite simple to buy. For me, as someone who's spent, you know, over 12, I don't want to tell you how old I am, but, you know, <laughs> well over a decade in the agency side, being an audio expert on the agency side. And, you know, Audio buyers are very time poor or just general uh, media buyers very time poor. You want things easy. You want things being able to be understandable very quickly and being able to compare, you know, different media owners out there in the market with each other on a singular level. So it's all about educating them to the point where they feel confident and able to, to buy into you. And, you know, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. You'll get some clients that think they understand podcasts just because they listen to them. Mm. And, you know, it's a completely kind of different proposition when you're speaking to them about actually the nuances and the differences in terms of the products you can buy, the way you can activate in the show, the way you can work with a host and what you can do outside of podcasts as well. You know, obviously, we've got Bauer and News as our parent companies. We can tap into the resource that they've got across those multiple touch points, you know, we can do cover wraps in the Times, we could do things in Grazia magazine, we can put features into Empire magazine and those types of things as well. So, you know, it's all about that education in the market and just trying to keep it simple. But I even read on PodPod the other day, it's like, it's not about reinventing the wheel. It's, you know, it is about keeping things simple. I think what us as media owners, particularly in this space as well, we've really got to be careful of owning the kind of language between ourselves on it as well to make sure that we're all talking about the same things in the same ways. Because we're, if we're all fighting over the same things, but calling it different things, then that just creates confusion for me in the market and doesn't make, doesn't make things simple. Do you find that you have to do a lot of explaining of the basics of podcasting or things like, you know, the advantages and disadvantages to the brands? Or do they already kind of come in with that standard knowledge on podcasts? Yeah, in my experience, I found, you know, you, you, you get brands that have obviously been buying into podcasts for years and completely understand, you know, the kind of the performance 
metric aspects of it and really dig into that data led side of buying into podcasts and really get it and can really, um, you know, make success of it. And because they've just been doing it so long, they just get it. Whereas I found, you know, kind of the bigger, the bigger clients, um, that have been maybe more traditional in their spend might need a bit more explaining. I also found that even when you've worked with clients who are heavy, like radio spenders, and really understand linear radio or digital audio, you know, there's still another layer of education that needs to be done. And I think that's, you know, creatively activating across podcasts is very, very different to doing something on digital audio or on linear radio. You know, if you're listening in a car and you're on, um, you know, a radio station, the creative might have to be quite shouty to stand out because the ad load's really high and you're in amongst all these different competitors competing for your eardrums. Whereas something like a podcast is very much an intimate experience. People are, you know, and, and I think creatively, clients need to be educated on that as well in terms of how they um, approach advertising on podcasts. And do you find that sort of like the younger brands who have sort of maybe even grown up with podcasts are kind of more willing to engage with podcasting than more established ones? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to get into, um, you know, just like a blanket coverage of like, oh, because it's a young startup brand or whatever, then then, then, then automatically they're going to be interested in podcasts. You know, we've had some interesting conversations with some huge, huge, huge kind of FMCG brands, fast moving consumer goods brands about all like podcasts as well. So I think it depends on kind of who works there and, and how clued up they are in media as well. But yeah, certainly, you know, if you're a young challenger starter brand, it can be a beneficial space for you to play. And especially if you've really got to demonstrate performance and ROI on it. And, you know, um, I think some, some brands that are direct to consumer in that way, things like those recipe boxes that you get or the raises mm -hmm. you get sent in the post, you know, they're very good at um, being able to uh, put in the short codes and track what kind of performance measurement they're getting on the back of their spend. So how much of your business kind of comes from these organizations kind of reaching out to you about podcasting? Have you kind of noticed a shift in that over the past few years? Yeah. So obviously when I joined Octave, they didn't really have like a central um, team of, of uh, someone or basically anyone just out there in market talking about podcast. So, you know, my role was to come in and kind of set that up and make sure that we're generating fame in the market and just that um, knowability amongst um, media planners and buyers and heads of AV and the people that would be investing in us. Um, so that was kind of the first thing that I had to do. And it can take a while, you know, people are busy. You've got to get out there, you've got to pound the pavement and you've got a glad hand and you've got to meet a lot of people. Obviously, I've worked in this industry a long time. So I know a lot of people that are all over the audio map, um, which is great and a good, a good starting place. But, you know, in terms of generating that confidence in what you're doing and the scale and what you can achieve, it does take a, a, a bit of time. So the first network that we launched was just back in October last year. And that was just an ad inventory only network. So only basically placing spot ads in, in amongst um, established shows. Whereas now this new deal has given us the opportunity to go out there and really shout about the creative solutions aspect of uh, what we can bring to bring to bear. And I think that's where the real kind of power of podcasts lies because, you know, a lot of the brands that we were talking to initially in the first instance was very much like, oh, podcasts, you know, do you mean host reads? And at that stage, it was a no. 
And I think that, again, leads back to kind of the education piece in terms of, oh, if I want to go into podcasts, I have to have the host read my sponsorship message, which isn't always the case. So, you know, we immediately knew that if we wanted to really get up and running with them, we needed a credible menu of of shows outside of the shows that we've already got within our um, parent companies as well. So, no, I think what we found now, especially it's been a really successful launch. Obviously, we've only launched this new Octave Podcast SXM deal about a month ago. Wow. And already, you know, the briefs are flying in, Amazing. you know, the message is landing and, you know, it's given us that real opportunity to be able to, to take, a, take our business to the next level. With the SXM deal, I remember writing about it, I think it was end of last month mm-hmm. that it launched. Yeah. Um, so I remember writing about it and it said that you were also testing dynamically inserted ads um, or con- that are contextual with mustard and also ads was ended up reporting in its I think it was it's a state of technology report saying that contextual targeting was a big big concern for brands that are investing in podcasting as well as brand safety is that something that you're seeing a lot from brands as something that is a big concern from them and then also how are you addressing these concerns yeah, so I think brand safety is always something that should be, the, the, you know, quite close to the top of an agenda for for a client, especially when they're spending in the in the digital space, because you know it can be quite frightening out there. You know, so what we've got to do is work with the brand safety. Whatever we can do in the market to promote us being brand safe is is top of our agenda as well. So, you know, we work with the IAB, we're gold standard certified, we've got the TAG brand safety certificate. I think from my understanding, we are the only digital audio business in the UK that has these two certificates. So we can really reassure anyone that's buying into our inventory that, you know, it is checked. It does tick the boxes that need to be ticked in terms of being able to activate against stuff that is, you know, can be seen to be, you know, contentious. And I think as the technology kind of improves, especially amongst podcasts, uh, you know, you can already automatically transcribe podcasts when they go live and already kind of um, block or even like um, opposite block um, keywords and things like that and topics. And I think as, uh, you know, AI, this scary thing that is on the horizon that everyone thinks is going to take over the world. I think if we can, you know, that's already being worked with in terms of that positive sense of us being able to use this to understand beyond context in, in podcasting. That would be a really helpful tool for us moving forward. But yeah, podcasts can be quite a frightening space for a client to dip their toe into if they're very, very concerned about brand safety and i think you know some of the bigger shows and um, bigger personalities involved in podcasting i don't want to name any names but we all know who we're talking about when you talk about these things is that you know there have been really really contentious and controversial moments in terms of going off topic or speaking to guests that are seen as controversial and if the big shows are doing that that doesn't do the smaller shows any favors really but the way i always try and reassure clients as well is that just to make them understand that it's a talent-led business that you're investing in and you know you're buying into that personality and it's that trust you're buying into and it's that person that you trust to deliver your brand messages in their own voice to an audience that is really really engaged with with their show and what they're saying and if that audience is always going to turn up for that show no matter what the guest is and be interested in what they've got to say then i think that's a really powerful place for them to to play in an example I often use is that, you know, a brand might have been worried about 
being in and around something like true crime on podcasts, you know, and podcast, and obviously that's one of the most listened to genres across podcasts because it's gruesome and there could be horrible things being talked about and all those kinds of things. And yeah, obviously, completely agree with that. However, in a, in a way, it's kind of no different from advertising in the middle of a high-end TV drama um, and being, you know, in the centre break of something like that on the TV. It's a, for me, there's 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 little difference between that. So that's something I'd always put out there as a reminder in that, you know, comparably across media, there is a precedent to be in and amongst this. And if people are listening to it, you know, why not go where the people are listening? How many parallels do you actually end up drawing from TV when you're talking to these companies? Because I suppose, you know, they're used to radio being very traditional media and commercial radio is always billing with advertising etc but i guess tv is so visual and i feel like a lot of podcast reads are very visual mm-hmm. almost do you know what yeah. i mean so do you think there are actually more parallels with tv than there are with more traditional radio adverts which as you say are quite shouty and attention grabby and fast yeah yeah absolutely a lot of my time on agency side was in a room with a client trying to evangelize radio and audio and podcasts to them to get them to buy into it and and give me give me a little bit of that money for <laughs> spending over here on TV and let me put it over here <laughs> yes. with all this wonderful stuff we can do creatively and it's you know it's about selling in that dream of like oh well you know if the response is it's non-visual then it's all about the words is always theater of the mind and it's all about the production aspect of it and being able to especially in podcasts where you've put your headphones on, you know, as a high propensity to listen to podcasts alone and and in headphones and to be able to capture that connection, that direct connection to someone's eardrums in a really well-produced read or ad that can bring in, you know, 3D audio or be dynamic in terms of uh, what it's saying. Or, you know, if the production is high end, then can create a real atmosphere a great piece of audio will always paint a picture inside someone's head and you don't necessarily need to fly a camera crew out to South Africa to film that. You can do it in a dark studio somewhere and if it's done well, the cost effectiveness of that is is completely different. One of the podcast advertising trends to come out this year was interactive ads. Um, I think I say it now is doing it with like uh, Alexa and uh, and you can do it with like car advertisements. And, and that's like an, a new way to interact with podcast advertising that's different to traditional, you know, host read and programmatic. What are some podcast advertising trends that you also see coming out for the next year? Yeah, so I think you, you kind of mentioned it there, like the uh, actionable ads. I think that's um, that's definitely an area that w- is really, really interesting. And I think it becomes more interesting when uh, things like smart speakers replace the FM DAB radio sets in, in the household. You know, as more and more people buy those to replace uh, your traditional kind of uh, radio box that you used to have with the dial on it. You know, you have a speaker that you can talk to. But I think that becomes more and more a place where people, you know, at the moment right now, I'd imagine people would feel quite silly to to ask their smart speaker to, you know, do something for them other than, you know, playing something or turning a light on or something like that. I think, but, you know, the more and more people get used to that, the more prevalent it's going to become. So I think the more we can play in that space, 
um, the more exciting it is. We have done some work in the past, we say it now, with actionable ads. And yeah, it's, we've seen an incredible response to it. So I think that's a really exciting place. And then in terms of wider trends, you've got things like we've talked about brand safety already. I think measurement is something that's a real hot topic at the moment, especially with the the interesting battle between kind of Acast and Spotify at the moment with Acast working with Podscribe, who are obviously third party and independent and deciding not to use tracking from Spotify's ad, I think it's ad analytics is formerly Podsites. So that's a real interesting point of difference between Acast and Spotify. And obviously Acast are very much around the open ecosystem of uh, podcasting that is, you know, you can, uh, it's not a walled garden and Spotify are very much kind of like taking that in-house. It'd be interesting to see where that goes and how that develops. I know that we've worked with some clients that already have um, or invested in Spotify's version of, of measurement um, and, you know, some that already use Podscribe as well. So it'd be, I think that type of difference will be kind of won or lost in terms of how many clients want to use whichever one they want to use. I mean, at the end of the day, they could still use both. But yeah, measurement is definitely key. And, you know, at the moment, the podcasting industry, it can be difficult to measure. You know, when, when someone downloads a podcast, uh, only research tells us that, you know, a high amount listens to them within five days of actually downloading it. So, you know, there's no actual data fed back to us to tell us so. So, you know, we're, we're in this environment where we are um, a very digital medium, but in terms of the digital data that we've got to to prove the, the metrics that, that clients are used to when they're buying into digital media, there's not quite as many uh, comparables. As the medium matures and we move into this part where, well, I say it's, we've gone past that point of the uptick is now we're in that maturing space. I think you'll see more and more exciting tech solutions coming to the fore to be able to to prove this. We're excited to work with them. I'm really interested in this sort of the, the measuring of success because obviously there's no kind of formula which ensures a successful campaign or a successful podcast. And when you're talking about success, I find that you could be on very, very different pages about what that looks like. Do you kind of find that you and the advertiser and all the podcast measure success in the same way and how... What does that look like? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, the thing about measuring success is you've got to lay out what that success is going to look like before you've even done anything. Um, because right. the worst thing yeah. would be, you know, you launch something or did something and then it gets a minimal return or in, in the client's eyes, a minimal return. I'm using mm. scare quotes there. Um, <laughs> and in your mind, it's, it's, it's the norm. Um, mm. So I think it's just about being upfront and agreeing what success looks like and whether that's, you know, if you're launching a podcast, what type of numbers that's going to do, you know, what does success look like with that? I mean, it's a terrifying, you know, certainly when I worked on agency side and you'd get the classic uh, client come to you and say, oh, I listen to podcasts. We love podcasts. We want to start our own podcast. <laughs> and it's like, familiar. yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah, but who's going to listen to it? And, you know, if it's uh, if it's a podcast all about mortgage rates or something and you're going to get your CFO in the studio to talk about it, who actually is going to listen to that? So, um, you know, and I always kind of thought about this stat that I can't remember what, what research study it came from, but it's something like if you release a 
podcast episode and it gets 33-0 listens within the first week, then you are in the top 50% of podcasts in the world. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, in, in, in the scheme of that, when yeah. you're launching a new show, whether it be with a brand or whether it's led with talent, you've got to be upfront and be like, right, if your expectation is you're going to do a thousand listens mm. in a week, then just think about that that 30 and being in that 50%. So I think even if you did a hundred in a month, it was something like you'd be in the top 20 or something like that. It was insanely small or small yeah. as in not the numbers you might expect. No. So when you've got a client that's really bought into the medium and probably invested a lot of money in that, and they're getting those types of numbers, it's actually, you've got to be in it for the long term and you've got to build that audience and you've got to promote it You've got to make sure that people are discovering your podcast through advertising because no one really discovers podcasts outside of um, either, you know, it's either word of mouth or they've heard your show advertised in another show or a guest has been on that show and they've talked about it or uh, they've seen it on the on the ribbon on Apple Podcasts. Um, those are the ways to kind of promote your show. You can't just put it out there and expect an audience to, to find it. But also, like, once you've explained all of that mm -hmm. to your client, do you find that they listen? Do they think, oh, actually, our podcast probably will be the one in a million where mortgage advisors are suddenly like the hot topic and I'm sure they will listen to us? Or do they take that advice on board and think, actually, maybe it's not the right time to start a podcast? Do you sort of like talk them out of yeah, I doing mean, this? I think, I, I, I mean, you know, especially agency side, I didn't want to talk myself out of money. Um, no, exactly. But you know, you've got to think of that long term, <laughs> that long term benefit, and will will they come back to spend? Is is what you want to happen? You'd always be upfront with them, but mm. you know, I think in a way, in a weird way, YouTube has kind of already done a bit of a job for us in that you know, back in the day oh, we need a YouTube account or we need to be pumping out content on YouTube. And then they would do that and it would get, you know, 20 views in two weeks or something like that. So, you know, when I'm kind of bringing up that example about podcasts, you can see a few marketeers kind of light bulbs going off in the head and be like, right, okay, yeah, we had a similar thing when we did YouTube and we went down that right. route. So okay. that's already kind of laid a bit it's of the groundwork, the groundwork for us. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, in terms of like judging that success outside of, um, you know, a creator angle, yeah, like I said, it's just about agreeing what success looks like up front and whether that's either through um, tracking, through things like pod sites and, you know, attributing return on investment through actions taken on, on a website after the, they've been exposed to an ad or whether it's, you know, through tracking uh, signups through things like short codes or whether it's even just the spikes in listeners that, you know, you might have had when you've, when you've partnered with them. It's, re it's really, um, there are a lot of different ways to do it, but I think you need to be clear up front to save any awkward questions later. I just wanted to go back to uh, bringing brands and agencies to the podcasting side and getting them to invest. There's a column that Adam, who's the editor of PopPod, recently wrote that's really, really good. And it's about how when you're already invested in podcasting, you could find yourself in that bubble where you think that everyone else views podcasting as the go-to medium and as a, as a way to really get numbers in and people would really want to invest in it. But actually, when you take a look at it from the outside, perspective 
not many brands and agencies really view podcasting as their first choice. They're more likely to advertise on radio or TV. Do you find that that's very true? And also, how do you then convince brands and agencies that have never invested in podcasting before to come into that side? Yeah, so I read that piece by Adam this morning, actually. It's very good. It, it rang. Um, there are so many truths in there for me. Um, obviously, a lot of my career has been spent on an agency side. And as I said, kind of mentioned before, you know, a lot of that would be, I'd be in a room essentially competing for budget against other mediums. So it's not only about proving that your the medium that you're pitching for budget for works, but it's also about trying to maintain its place on the plan as well. Audio, radio, especially, you know, when budget cuts come down, they would often be the first thing to be removed from the plan. So my heart has been broken many times over the years by uh, by radio and audio being removed from media plans. So uh, I think, yes, uh, certainly from what I found on, on the media owner side, um, and what I've been surprised about a bit as well is that there aren't that many people with that agency insight and that agency experience that can speak to um, having been in the room when they are um, when there's been a multimedia plan in place and you know you've seen what TV are doing you've seen what out of home are doing you've seen how digital go about their business in terms of winning budgets in that way and I think the trap that we could fall into as a, as a uh, podcasting media or as a podcast medium and podcast media owners is to assume that um, it's our right to always be on the plan or when we're getting budget it's potentially not competing with something like digital audio or linear radio or even social or even digital you know you're always going to be competing for that client budget no matter what the brief is so I think it's just having that understanding that you've got to be credible you've got to be transparent about what you're doing you've got to be trustworthy all of these things help you in the long term and yeah i think podcasts you know um it's still it's still very much a niche medium and it's um you know even audio in a sense can be seen as niche if you're talking it's something like six seven eight percent of of media budgets go onto audio and you've got to think that podcasts within that audio budget are again about six or seven percent so it's like a niche of a niche um and we shouldn't lose sight of that so what we've got to do to promote podcasts is to uh, promote it as a point of difference amongst not only linear radio not only digital audio from out of home and from from tv as well just what can it offer that goes beyond that and i think you know when we've taken our new roadshow out and we've been talking about our new Octave podcast proposition and we've been talking about the Sirius XM deal, we've been talking about this being the, what we're calling the age of the podfluencer. And this is someone that is like, you know, they are essentially an influencer. They're not necessarily a radio host that has a good connection with their audience. This is someone that you have gone out and you have actively sought out their voice and their bit of content and their interest and you have engaged with that on a personal level you've not just put the radio on in the background and passively listened to that you've actively gone out that there and sought that content for yourself so their attention is a lot higher and i think that's what's really got to be promoted to clients in that you might not necessarily be buying into a medium where you are just deploying an ad on a radio station and you're shouting about that. You are tapping into a t to talent that has a direct connection to the eardrums of an audience and people that would then 
more likely to take actions after the fact because of the trust and the emotional connection that they have with that with that personality as long as we can continue to 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 raise that as the the main raison d'etre to, for, for advertising on podcasts and i think you know that'll see, see us have success in the long long term you've sort of talked about it being a niche medium and you know that the, the kind of the reach of a podcast compared to something like radio or TV might be one of the reasons why advertisers won't go there first. But what is, apart from that, the biggest barrier kind of putting advertisers off investing in podcasts, do you think, now? We've kind of covered a little bit of it with the, the with the brand safety element. There are still concerns around that. And I think that's just, that's on us to to reassure them, to make sure that you know they they understand the nuances of the medium what they're buying into the trust capabilities of uh, the brand safety certificates that we've got i think that's still a mild barrier i think sometimes as well i've certainly seen it when i was agency side is that you get clients very excited about podcasts you get them to buy into it and everyone's you know we're all high-fiving and backslapping and you know the uh, then we get to the point of activation and the client suddenly realizes that there's a whole long process in terms of activating especially on talent-led campaigns you know a four to six week process of scripts back and forth across maybe multiple um, shows things being agreed and to track all of that is quite difficult um, and I think certainly in the in the beginnings of um, you know the few first podcast campaigns that I activated um, on my agency side I don't think We'd been educated enough from the podcast media owners enough to understand the scale of what was needed. So it's always in the back of my mind that when you are going down the route of of talent led um, activations um, with with campaigns, is that you know there's a real transparency in terms of what uh, the expectations are in terms of how you how much you will need to be involved and how much you will need to approve and mm. how much you will need to agree to and the timings mm. across that. Just so. It doesn't get to a point where they're halfway through that and they think, oh my God, the podcasts are a nightmare. I never want to advertise in them again because I've got all this all this stuff coming into my inbox and I don't know what's going on. It's like actually, you know, it's about holding their hand through that entire process and making sure that you're um, you know, that they want to come back and 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 spend their money again. Mm-hmm. On the creator side, do you have any advice for podcasters to make themselves more appealing to advertisers? Oh, I think if you were going to set up a show or become a podcaster and approach it from the angle of this is going to be my meal ticket, this is going to pay my mortgage, I just need to find this little niche where I can exist or or try and come up with something outlandish that's going to be a big, big show, that's the completely the wrong approach. If you're a creator and you want to create a podcast, you should at first understand what it is, you know, who your audience would be, who you'd be talking to. What what do you know that someone else might not necessarily know? You know, what are you into? And what have you got to say? And I think if you can bring both those things together, then, you know, you, you'll potentially find an audience that want to know what you're telling them. And I think once you get to that point and you're a credible voice in that space, then you know advertising and, and um, partners will f- will follow through on that. They will do that because they will understand that you have generated an audience that are into what you're saying, rather than being someone who's 
a bit disingenuous and just in it for the money. Um, because, you know, podcasting, it's not, it's, it, there are hundreds and thousands of creators out there, um, all creating audio content all the time. And, you know, it's not something you make money from really, unless you're, you know, up in that top, top, top 1%. So it's all about viewing podcasts as well as, you know, maybe another weapon in your arsenal as a creator. Maybe you've got a podcast, but, you know, potentially you could have an audience across Instagram. Um, you could be doing uh, content across YouTube and TikTok, all of these things. It's, it's about the whole rather than the individual. And I think once you can bring all of that together in an environment that is credible to your own voice and personality, then, yeah, I think, you know, partners and advertising and, and the cash will flow. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> and do you have a kind of advert that you like listening to the most? Oh, my God. I mean, who listens to the ads, right? We all hate them, yeah? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. I mean, I always found, you know, it's it's not necessarily about ads. It's about the um, the show, the shows that you listen to. And there are certain shows that I listen to. Um, and, you know, there are people that you can tell begrudge doing um, host reads a little bit. <laughs> you want to be like, you know, once once more with feeling. But there are other shows that do it really, really well. And I always think back to Adam Buxton is an absolutely brilliant podcaster. And, you know, I think he's got that format down in terms of any client mm. he works with. He'll do like a, a song or a funky rap or something. And you would, uh, you know, you would look forward to hearing those. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, I think he does it very, very, very well. And I think it's that understanding of um, how to work with clients, how to make them happy, what your audience wants. I think that is something that, you know, a lot of podcasters could kind of uh, learn from in terms of getting brands come up and say, I actively want to work with these creators. Mm. Matt Rouse, thank you so much for joining us and talking to us today. You're welcome. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. So that was Matt Rouse talking all about advertising in podcasts. And Adam, he said something about how to make yourself attractive as a creator to advertisers, which I think is a very, very useful tidbit for potential podcast creators who are listening to this. So can you expand a little bit on that bit? Absolutely. So one of the things he was saying around building a multi-platform sort of offering as a creator, I think is is really significant at the moment because increasingly advertisers are looking at partnering with specific creators across all of their channels, whether that's kind of podcasting, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, you know, everything that they have access to. And they'll roll it into a, a sort of omni-channel campaign with various different strands. And it also means that as a creator, you've got a lot of different levers you can pull and a lot of different audiences that you can bring together and give yourself a bigger kind of platform in the eyes of advertisers and hopefully, you know, win, win more business, win more partnerships. Is it still a bit disheartening to, to hear and to think that making a living from podcasting is still incredibly difficult? I mean, yeah, I think for a majority of people that are just starting out, I think it's very 
difficult to make an actual proper income. But we have spoken to people on this podcast before that have done it really well. And they've, you know, started things like their own Patreon account, instead of turning to advertisers, really just created their own bonus content and understood what their fans wanted to listen to and what they would engage with and what they would pay for. Um, and then they were able to successfully make a living out of that platforms. So I think they're, it's not something that's completely unrealistic to make a proper income out of podcasting. I think it just takes time and it really takes effort and you just have to really focus on the quality of your content first and what you're offering mm. and who your audience are. And as soon as you have that nailed down and you have that consistency, then I think you're going to start seeing income. Yeah. It's still a lot of sacrifice, isn't it? Before that happens. But I suppose if you do have the time, if you are willing to lose money, then eventually it might pay off, which is such a, oh, it's such a like difficult thing to get fully get behind. But it seems to be the only way really that anyone ends up being able to make a living off podcasting. Yeah, it's one of the things he he pointed out was that if podcasters are expecting to be able to make a living purely from advertising on the podcast, mm. they're in for a rude awakening because it is mm. only the absolute top of the pile that oh. makes kind of significant profits from advertising. When you look at most kind of full-time successful podcasters, they have many, many, many different income streams, whether that's live events, merch, subscriptions, and then the spot ads and the host reads. You need multiple different elements because it's very rare that one on its own will be able to to support you effectively, particularly as you kind of scale up a podcast and put more time and more energy into it. Mm. You know, we were speaking to the to the red-handed guys the other week and they were saying kind of the same thing like when they needed to grow the team it was the patreon income predominantly that allowed them to do that and reem is our resident gen zer <laughs> i wanted to ask you about your preference between host red ads and like spot ads that are inserted or you know just generic prereqs how do you feel about those ads i I love a host read ad. I love it, especially if I'm listening to uh -huh. a, a comedy podcast and sometimes they'll do like a funny accent uh -huh. or they'll share a funny story associated with the product that they're advertising. And I feel like they're the ones that I'm most likely to remember. That's the point. They have to be different each time. They have mm, to be relevant. Yes. They have to shift a little bit. I used to really, I've talked about this before. I used to really like the no such thing guys doing the, mm. um, their host reds because yeah, they did get something different out. Obviously Adam Buxton is an expert at doing these, but I, it kind of feels like from the ones that I listen to, that's few and far between. And I end up listening to the same, even if they're host read ads from other podcasts. If I hear like Rob Bryden popping up and saying to me one more time, well done. You've made it through the embarrassment of riches of the podcast. I was like, oh my God, Rob, I love you, but come on. So yes, we just need to mix it up a little bit. Okay, brilliant. Thank you so much, Reem and Adam, for joining me this week. A massive thank you to Matt Rouse for sharing all of his insights with us. And I hope that it has been useful for you listening. Do let us know by rating and subscribing and giving us 
brilliant reviews because that's the way that other people will find us and we want to share this knowledge thank you of course to emma caution who has covid currently and really needs a boost so please give her a pat on the back a virtual pat on the back if you see her <laughs> um for producing excellent content each week i'm your host rihanna Dillon, and i will see you next week cheers Bye.